Uh, we are going to turn now to the Word of God. We're just looking at two verses, famous verses, from uh, James' uh, letter at the end of chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Hear the Word of the Lord. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word that is both a two-edged sword that cuts us, pierces our hearts, and yet is also a healing balm that comforts our wounds, leads us to your grace. And we pray for both of those things as we come to your word. And Lord, we receive um, the operation of your word upon us. We trust you, we love you, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today our topic is religion. Three times in these two little verses that I, I just read, the word religion appears. And uh, some of you will know that uh, just this past week, my family and I moved uh, we moved in with my mom. Many of you will know my mom who uh, attends uh, Christ Church. And uh, for a long time, we have talked about that we would uh, live together with my mom. My dad passed away a year and a half ago. And, and uh, we thought we would live, as she got older, we would, we would live with her. And then just during this time in COVID, uh, we were talking about it. I said, why wait? Why don't we move in together now? And um, during the uh, few weeks while we were praying this decision over, my mom was weighing the pros and cons of living with our family. And uh, as she was doing that, one of the concerns that she brought up is she said, you know, your family is just so religious and I'm just not nearly as religious as your family is. And so I don't know, maybe that would be hard for you to live with me or for me to live with you. And when she said that, I was like, we are not religious. You think, you really think I'm religious and my family is religious? And she's like, you're probably the most religious people I know. I mean, you're a pastor, you pray and talk about the Bible all the time. Your whole life is centered around your faith. Of course you're religious people. And when she said that, I said, well, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe, I guess we are religious people. But why was I opposed to the label religious? Maybe I put that question to you. If someone said that you are so religious, would you take that as a compliment? I think uh, most of us would say no. And actually, that's, that's not just true of Christians. That's true of other religions. I've heard that, that Buddhists are insistent that Buddhism is not a religion. No one wants to be called religious. Why is that? Well, I think that people don't like religious people. Religious people are stuffy and self-righteous and know-it-alls. 
Religious people uh, were the main targets of, of Jesus' most piercing words. Jesus says to religious people, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Religion is so easily mixed with hypocrisy, and so people resent religion. Well, uh, James, more than any other New Testament writer, quotes or alludes to or interacts with Jesus' teaching from his life more than any other, you know, the Apostle Paul or, or John. He, he's constantly talking about Jesus' teaching, and here he too takes up his criticism of religion. And what a relief that our Lord has not called us to primarily a religious life, but to a life of love, love for God, love for one another, love for our neighbors. And it's such an important topic for us as a church, a church who we love the Bible, we love to worship, we love prayer and in, in being tied up in the life of the church. How do we make sure that we don't become that kind of religion that Jesus criticized so severely? Well, to answer that uh, question, we're going to look at three simple questions this morning from this passage, and this is what they are. First, what is worthless religion? Second, what is pure religion? And third, how do we do pure religion and not worthless religion? So these are words that are going to come up from the text itself. But the three questions are, what is worthless religion? What is pure religion? And how do we do the latter? And this topic uh, might sound like a strange topic to you, but it is very close to the heart of the vision of Christ Church Bellingham. So it's so important for us as a church, and I hope that God can apply these words into our lives and into our community, even as we are apart during this time. So three questions this morning. And the first is this, what is worthless religion? What is worthless religion? religion. And I get that language of worthless religion from uh, our passage. You see there in verse 26, how it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And uh, one thing to point out here about the word religious, the word religious appears infrequently in the Bible. The Bible doesn't use the word religious very often. And when it does, it's usually considered a bad thing. So for example, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, he says this, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, James says that religion is worthless. Paul says that religion, self-made religion, is of no value. And so what is so bad about religion that is worthless, this religion that, that James is describing? Well, James says two things about it, that it's self-focused and that it's competitive. Self-focused and competitive. I want to talk about each of these. So first, worthless religion is self-focused. And you see in verse 26 how it says, if anyone thinks he is religious. See, James is talking about someone who's always thinking about themselves and how religious they are. And they're thinking about how much they know about theology and all the things, the religious things that they've done. And self-focus is one of the most deadly parts to our spiritual life and deadliest parts of religion. Because on the one hand, it can breed a kind of conceit and like, wow, I look at all the things I know and all the things I've done. It's kind of arrogance and pride. 
Or on the other hand, when we're thinking about our own religion and thinking about ourselves when we're self-focused, we, we can create despair because we're like, oh, wow, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough for God. I haven't done enough for my church or my religion. And it's a relief that God does not want us thinking about ourselves all the time. Who are you supposed to be thinking about in religion? God. We're supposed to think about how awesome and holy we are. We're supposed to think about how awesome and holy he is. And this is one of the supreme blessings of the spiritual life, is it takes our attention off of ourselves. It takes our attention away from ourselves to him. And actually, we'll see in this passage that religion is not only meant to get us to stop thinking about ourselves and think about God, but it also gets our attention on other people. It opens our eyes to see uh, other people that we've never seen before. And I've often thought about that that's how God made our bodies. You know, you think about your eyes naturally. Your eyes can see everything that God has made except our own face, unless we look in a mirror. But naturally, we spend most of our life beholding the wonders of God's creation and not beholding ourselves. We're not supposed to look at ourselves. And that is joy to forget about yourself and behold the wonders of God and his world. And that's why hardly anything kills joy so much as religion because it turns our gaze constantly on ourselves and what we are doing, asking the question, am I good enough? Am I holy enough? Have I done enough good works? Nothing kills joy like the question, have I done enough? Nothing kills joy. So first, worthless religion is focused on ourselves and what a relief. God does not want this for you and for me. So praise God. But the second thing that we see in this text about worthless religion is worthless religion is competitive. And when you're constantly asking the question, have I done enough? There is a, an insecurity that comes with that question that immediately causes you to start comparing how much you do or how much you know with how much other people do and what they do and how do I compare with them? And so religion introduces a competitive spirit into the church. And there's a, a business book that I, I read uh, several years ago called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's a great book about the culture of a work environment. And, uh, and in the book, the author describes how destructive it is in workplaces when people are insecure and constantly trying to one-up one another. And the book says that when people are insecure like this, uh, two things happen. First of all, they become self-deceived become blind to their own faults. They can't see their own fault. They can't see their own weaknesses, so they can't grow and they can't change. And with that, they do a second thing where they start talking bad about other people in the workplace so that they themselves can look better. And they say, this is just corrosive to a work environment. And so the com competitive spirit in the workplace is these two things, self-deceived and talking bad about others. And what does James say are the marks of worthless religion? It, Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, right? Talking about about others, but deceives his heart, he's self-deceived, can't see his own faults. This person's religion is worthless. It's the exact same two things that this author is observing about the workplace. He says it's not just corrosive in the workplace, it's corrosive in the church. And so it's a sobering warning to us as a community. Religion has the potential 
to create in us some of the most unattractive qualities. Self-focused, competitive one-upmanship, self-deception that never admits our own faults and then talking bad about other people. And James calls all of it worthless. And that's why for most of us, if someone said we are very religious, we'd take it as an insult. And maybe we should. Maybe the Bible says we should take it as an insult. Now, the contrast in these verses is between worthless religion and what James calls pure religion. And you'll notice uh, one difference between these two in verse 26 begins, if anyone thinks he is religious, worthless religion is based on how we view ourselves. But in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Pure religion is not lived before our own eyes, but before God himself, who is our Father. And uh, so that leads to our second question. So first, what is worthless religion? It's self-focused and competitive. And, and James says it's worthless. We, we don't want anything to do with that. But second, what then is pure religion? What is pure religion? Now, the word religion here in this passage is probably refers to kind of the ceremony that often goes with the religious life. You know, you have churches and you have Bibles and, and you have these worship services and you have prayers that you're saying and we come and we take the sacrament. And so uh, this could be Christian ceremony. This could be pagan ceremonies, different religious religions. And James is not opposed to religious ceremony per se. Uh, in the previous section, he just talked about the Word of God that we heard about from Matt last week. James wants us to pray and to, and to listen to sermons and to take them to heart, to do what we're doing right now. But going to church and doing religious things is the easy part of the faith. Working your faith out in your life. You know, if you're going to take the gospel and apply it into your marriage or into parenting with your children, or if you're going to bring it into the workplace of your manager, how you manage people and how you work with other people, or caring for those who are in need, walking with people who are facing affliction and hardship and being with them. This is the hard part of being a Christian. And basically, James is saying, if your faith never pushes you into the difficult parts of obedience, your religion is worthless. If your faith never pushes you into the difficult parts of obedience, all these other areas of life where it's hard to work out of your faith, not just listening to a sermon, not just showing up at church, but working out the faith, your religion then is worthless. It's not alive in you. And of course, our Lord Jesus said the same thing, quoting from Hosea. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's saying if your religious ceremonies, you know, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, don't result in a merciful, gracious, and compassionate life, the sacrifices, all the ceremony is in vain. It's worthless. So what does pure religion then, uh, then look like? Well, again, James says two things. First, pure religion is visiting people in their affliction. Pure religion is visiting people in their affliction. And that's that famous line from verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, if you're like me, you'll read these verses and say, okay, the only kind of faith or religion that matters is if you're a foster parent or you have 
uh, adopted a child into your home. And often I even forget about the widow part. It's just like that is the one way to do religion. And I, you know, and I'll say one of the things that's remarkable to me about this passage, I was just reflecting this week on the number of children throughout Christian history who have been brought into a Christian home because of this one verse. I mean, it, it's countless, millions of kids. Because I mean, the, it shows you the power of the word of God, that God's people read this one little phrase, that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows and people in their affliction. And people have said, God has adopted me. I'm going to adopt a child into my home. And it's amazing that this one word could give a new life to so many children. It absolutely blows my mind. But also, you know, John Calvin points out that orphans and widows are a way of summarizing people who are in affliction from the youngest to the oldest, the whole spectrum of people who find themselves in suffering and hardship. And in the Old Testament, the fatherless and the widow represented the most vulnerable members of society. And God has a special care for them. That's why I say pure religion is visiting people in their affliction, all kinds of people in their affliction. James wants us to ask, who is ignored in our community? Who's ignored by the world? Who is thrown out by the world? Who are the people that no one cares about? We should see them. And when we see them, what does he want us to do? And I love the answer that he gives. He wants us to visit them. Visiting someone doesn't mean you have to fix their problems. And I think that when we think that we have to fix the affliction that people are facing, it causes us to back away from this text because we know we can't do it. We can't rescue everyone from their affliction. We can't. Uh, but one of the things that strikes me most about the book of Proverbs, I'm always reading through the book of Proverbs in my morning devotions. And one of the repeated themes in Proverbs about people who are in poverty is that one of the big differences between the rich and the poor is that the, poor have, the rich have many friends and the poor do not have friends. Now, I know that's not always true. Maybe some of you are poor and you say, I got lots of friends. But that's an observation that what we need most as humans, what makes us rich in this life, rich in the kingdom, is when we have love, when we have relationship. And so you can't fix people's affliction, but you can befriend people who are in affliction. And you see what happens when you think people in affliction just need me to rescue them from their affliction. They need me to save them, basically. The relationship becomes one way. I'm here to rescue you from your affliction. But when you visit someone, the relationship's two-way. And you find that the person in their affliction has much to offer you as well. It's a relationship of love. And so pure religion is visiting people in their affliction. And, you know, if I could say one other word, thing about this word visit, it, uh, do you know who the main visitor in the Bible is? Well, uh, one example is in Luke uh, chapter 7. There's a, a, a widow there who is, uh, her only son has died and there's a funeral procession coming out of the town. And Jesus comes upon this funeral procession and he raises the son from the dead and gives the son back to this widow. And it says about all the people who witnessed it, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet is risen among us, and God has visited his people. 
It's the same word that's here in James. God is the great visitor. He comes and visits. He comes and sees us. He comes and enters into our life. And when our lives are shaped by the gospel that Jesus came to visit us, we become a visiting people too. We go to people and build relationships and befriend and love and sit with them in their affliction. And you know, it's interesting that it's not only that God comes and serves us and visits us and helps us, but he even has a two-way relationship and invites us to come and speak to him and to serve him and to, and to offer our lives for his kingdom. And so pure religion means first to visit, to befriend people in their affliction and especially the most vulnerable in society. The second thing is that pure religion is staying unstained from the world. Pure religion is staying unstained from the world. And again, in verse 27, this is what it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I should say, you know, for months I've been anticipating preaching this sermon, and I have thought that this was going to be a sermon about mercy ministry, you know, those famous words about visiting orphans and widows and their affliction. It's the famous part, and, you know, in my generation, and I think even in the upcoming, upping, you know, generation that's younger than me, mercy ministry, you know, social justice is... Uh, is very in vogue. It's very on the top of people's priority, which I think is a good thing, that we should love those who are vulnerable and in need the way that Jesus did. But I've heard this verse quoted uh, all the time as pure religion is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, full stop. But they leave off the part that's not nearly as cool or as in vogue and keep oneself unstained from the world. In fact, many Christians who are on mission, who say, you know, the church has a mission. We have a mission to care for those in need, for the broken, and to reach out to them, actually have a desire to look a lot like the world. We want to be like the world. We don't want to be marginalized in the public square. We don't want people to think we're these goofy religious people. And so we take, we take on a lot of the ideas, the cultural uh, tendencies of the world, and we don't look that different than the world. But James is saying, if we think we can be on mission and never have to face that being a Christian is often at odds with the world, we are kidding ourselves. Just as much as pure religion is caring for orphans and widows, people in their affliction, it is keeping oneself unstained from the world. And what does that mean? What does it mean to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, later in James chapter 4, he has a whole section on worldliness. And he says there in, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's an incredible statement of God's call to us to, to live pure lives and separate from the world. And, you know, the world is, of course, not the earth. It's not the physical world or the universe or the creation. The world is the whole system of thought and values by which our culture operates. And in James 4, worldliness looks like coveting. Okay, that's, you know, wanting more possessions, a kind of consumerism and adultery, sexual sin. Both of those things, consumerism and sexual temptation, we are bombarded with in our culture. 
And part of pure religion is, is caring for those in affliction and a resisting of the temptations that come with being, being in this world. And so our, our, our uh, Christian life must involve both of these. So what is worthless religion? Well, on the one hand, it's self-focused, it's thinking about myself, and it's competitive, it's talking down about other, other people, and it's blind to my own faults. Uh, and what does pure religion look like? It looks like visiting, befriending people in affliction, especially the most vulnerable. He says, you know, the fatherless and the widow, uh, and staying unstained from the world, resisting consumerism in my possessions and sexual sin. This is what pure religion looks like. Now, what makes the difference between someone being, you know, oftentimes these two people, someone who's doing worthless religion, someone who's doing pure religion, they look the same. They're both going to church. They're both listening to sermons. They're both in home groups. They're both in discipleship groups. They're both volunteering at church. Their lives look similar. What makes the difference? Uh, how do we be the latter? And this is our final question. How do we keep our religion pure? Well, this question is right at the heart of the vision of Christ Church Bellingham. And, you know, if you take our, our membership class, which you can take our membership class, by the way, if you're listening to this and maybe you're new to Christ Church, and maybe you have some time on our website, there are 12 membership videos that tell, talk all about who we are as a church, what we believe, what our mission is. Love for you to watch that and, and become a, a member of our church. And one of the first things that we say in there that our church is a gospel-centered church. And to explain what that means, we say that a gospel-centered church isn't just a church that believes certain things about the Bible and teaches certain things about the Bible that we teach about Jesus, but a gospel-centered church also has a certain kind of culture to it. There's an atmosphere that is not just the doctrine, but it's also the culture of the church that is important. And in that video, we compare religion to the gospel. And we say that religion is approaching God saying, if I obey, then God loves me. And I'll always ask the people, okay, imagine a community that is built on the principle, if I obey, then God loves me. Give me some words to describe what that community is like. And always, these are the words that people come up with. Legalism, shame, harshness, judgmental, arrogant, despair, people wearing masks, pretending to be someone they aren't. You know, the, uh, it's inauthentic. No community, grudges, hard-heartedness, all this thing. And you say, oh man, I don't want to be a part of that, that environment. You hear the culture of it. And then we say the gospel approaches God by saying, God has loved me perfectly in Christ, and therefore I want to obey. Give me some words to describe a community that's built on that principle. And the words are always joy, love, humility, compassion, real heart transformation, community, confession, trust between people, trust with God, uh, real holiness, real honesty. This is the difference between worthless religion and pure religion. And the difference is the gospel. And does James say that? Does James say that the gospel is the difference? Yes, because when James wants to call us to visit orphans and widows, how does he say it to us. Look at verse 27 again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why does James slip in that title for God, the Father? He's probably alluding to the great Old Testament title for God that's repeated all over the Old Testament. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a husband to the widow. James is saying, before he tells us what to do, you were a spiritual orphan. God has brought you in and he's called you his beloved child. He's adopted us. We were widows without a husband and he made us the bride of Christ. That is the gospel. And when the gospel becomes the defining principle for your whole life, that God loved me first in Christ, it shapes how you view everything else. And so the answer to the question, how do we have pure religion instead of worthless religion, is not simply be better. It's not simply focus on yourself. To be pure is to be washed by the gospel, is to be focused on Christ. In Hebrews 10 tells us about this purity. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean within, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's through our baptism, through the washing of Christ, through the gospel that our religion is purified. And so it's not something we ultimately do, but something he does in us by grace. And when we've received that gospel as a church, a certain kind of culture forms. Not one of thinking about myself all the time, self-focused, not one that's competitive, talking bad about others, worthless religion, but one, uh, one of compassion for those in affliction. We'll see children brought into our church through fostering and adoption. We'll see widows befriended. And then as a community also, staying unstained from the world. This is the religion of the gospel, and that's the vision that God our Father has for us as his children. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we praise you that you've not given, uh, called us to a, a life of harsh, harsh servitude but that you've called us to the gospel of peace and love. And we long to know your love in our lives so deeply that it shapes the love that we have for others. May we have a, a community of this pure religion where the afflicted find comfort and love and that we remain unstained from the world because there's joy, there's peace, there's life and life with you. And so, Guide us into this truth. Shape us by your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.